we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I don't know if your family's anything like mine, uh, but around the table in the Sorensen household, uh, one of the favourite things of the Sorensen kids, here they are. Aww. Yeah, good response. Make a father proud. One of the favourite things of the Sorensen kids is sharing family stories. Uh, Candice has been subjected to many of these. Uh, the more dramatic, the better. Uh, the more unexpected, the better. And especially and always, the more about them, the better. Uh, no matter how much they've heard them, uh, no matter how well they know them, they can't get enough of their family stories. Uh, stories like uh, the one about my eldest, uh, Amelie, who while off on school camp, uh, decided uh, to sleepwalk during a nightmare and lock herself out of her cabin. That's a famous uh, favourite family story. Uh, or another one about uh, Isabel, our youngest, uh, who while she was even younger, harassed the poor man who had just finished playing the toad in The Wind in the Willows uh, while he was trying to sort of escape through the botanic gardens, yelling out to him, Hey, frog, look at my dress! Um, uh, he, he didn't. That's another famous uh, Sorensen story. Um, well, then there's the one uh, with Elka, uh, who, as a baby, painted her face with nappy cream. <laughs> or, not to be outdone, the story of her brother Jacob, who painted himself and the walls with something mud. <laughs> <laughs> This is a, a, a favourite science family story. They, they pretty much get that from their mother's side. They can't get enough of their favourite family stories. And the reason I tell you that is because if you come to our passage today, I want to suggest that's what we come to. One of our family stories. Uh, a story that's full of drama uh, and unexpected twists. And mostly and importantly is a story about you. See, if you're someone who lives for God, uh, the God made known in Jesus, the God who wrote this book, the Bible, I want to say this is your family story. And this is a story that should give you just as much delight as all those others give my kids. Um, in, in fact, even more. Um, what is this story? Well, as was just so beautifully read by Kate, it's the story of two champions, uh, two warriors. Uh, who in order to settle, if you like, a destructive dispute, face one another and fight to the death. Uh, who's the first of those champions? Well, we saw he's a Philistine giant. Uh, if you've been with us the last few weeks, you'll know that in this period of history, the Philistines are the mortal enemies of God's people. Uh, again and again, already in this book, they've threatened and attacked and they've mocked and they've killed as we come to the chapter in front of us today, we see that there they are, and it's happening again. Only this time it's different. Why? Well, because unlike any other battle recorded in the Old Testament, this time they come with a secret weapon. They are a weapon of mass destruction. And his name, verse 4, is Goliath. And Goliath is big. Goliath stands six cubits and a span, verse 4. 
Um, that's nine feet nine inches. That's 297 centimetres. That's, and I'm going to blame Dan Kong for this because he set it up. That's around about this tall. <laughs> this is Goliath. Goliath is tall. Was his posture that bad? <laughs> In this room, yes, Will, it would have been. <laughs> and Goliath is wide. Um, he must have been. That coat that it says he wore weighed 55 kilos, which I'm guessing is more than some of you. And that's not to mention his armour, or the sword on his back, or the spear in his hand, or did you notice the shield that some other bloke has to carry around in front of him? This is a one-man indestructible fortress. Think, if you like, Floyd Mayweather meets Conor McGregor, only twice as big, one on each other, one's shoulders, and fully armed and wanting to fight you. That's who this is. Verse 8, have a look, verse 8. Goliath stood, shattered to the ranks of Israel. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Or actually, perhaps better, am I not the Philistine? A kind of walking embodiment of all that you fear. And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we'll become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man. Let us fight each other. course the Israelites are terrified just as you would be terrified verse 11 on hearing the Philistines words all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified or, or, or jump down to verse 24 if we've got it there verse 24 whenever the Israelites saw the man they all fled from him in great fear I don't know about you I've always considered myself more of a lover than a fighter as the old joke says, I win most of my fights by a good 100 metres. And it seems the Israelites are a lot like me. And the question, of course, the question that is raised by this passage is, who will be Israel's champion? If in the red corner, weighing in it really, really, really heavy, is Goliath, who will enter the ring and fight for Israel? Who will fight their battle for them? <coughs> now, on the one hand, I want to say, the answer's obvious. It's the man that Israel has already chosen. For just this moment, to fight this fight. After all, do you remember what they said back in, in chapter 8, verse 20? We want a king, like all the other nations, to go out and fight our battles for us. Do you remember? Who was the king they chose, just like all the other nations, to fight the battles for them? It was Saul. And he is the obvious choice. Just as Goliath's the tallest of his people, do you remember? Saul's the tallest of his. Saul is the closest thing they have to their very own Goliath. And so it's his job to go and fight for them. After all, he is their leader. And it's always, always the leader's job 
to stand between the danger and those he loves. To give his life for those he leads. Now, I'm not suggesting we see all that much of that in the leadership we see today, but please understand that is what real leadership is. Whether it's fathers in families, or mothers with children, or pastors in churches, whether it's the way you lead your friends, or for some of you, the way you lead this club, or even with others, you'll lead on campus and you will in your life. It's always the leader's job to stand between the danger and those they love. To give their life for those they lead. And in this place, at this moment, Saul is Israel's obvious choice. But he won't. He can't and he knows it. Just like Israel, did you see there verse 11? Saul too is dismayed and terrified. In fact, so much so that there in verse 25, he will pay with his daughter and his wallet and his taxes anyone who will go deal with Goliath for him. Back in Hannah's song, do you remember in that first week, Hannah's song, chapter 2, verse 10, Hannah saying, God will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And if there's one thing that's clear at the start of this story, it's that as much as the world might expect him to be, Saul is not that king. He is not Israel's champion. But, insert twist, there is someone else. God's unexpected choice, we're told, a healthy, handsome, little boy. Who has, in fact, already been chosen and anointed by God for this. If you're in engaged groups this week, you'll know that right before chapter 17 comes chapter 16. Yeah. In fact, you probably didn't need to go to engaged groups to know that that happened. But you'll know that if you're there in engaged groups, that in chapter 16, God has already chosen David. you remember? Go, he said to Samuel. In chapter 16, verse 1. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem because I have selected a king from his sons. Go, he says to Samuel. Go get the king that I choose. Who is that king? Well, what you need to see is he is the most unexpected choice. After, do, do you remember uh, back in chapter 16, he was the one his father forgot. Or better, he was the one his father left to care for the sheep while the grown-ups got together and talked. Did you remember when Samuel came to find his king? Chapter 16, verse 11, Samuel asked him, Are these all the sons you have? Oh, well, uh, still was the youngest. He answered, you know, right now he's tending the sheep. Samuel told Jesse, send for him. He won't sit down until he gets here. So Jesse sent for him. It's just the same attitude to David here too. Did you see in the chapter? Have a look at verse 13. Verse 13, Jesse's three older sons had followed Saul to war. Firstborn was Eliab, second Abinadab, the third Shammah. Same sons, by the way, as chapter 16. The tallest, the strongest, the oldest. But then verse 14, David was the youngest. Three oldest followed Saul, but, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep. You see? see, David's not supposed to be in the war. <coughs> David's not the one you choose to fight. He's just the errand boy who goes back with messages between the war and dad and dad and the war. It's just as his brother Eliab fumes. You see there at the end of verse 28. Have a look, end of verse 28. Eliab says, I know how conceited you are, you little punk David. 
I don't know how wicked your heart is. You came to here only to watch the battle. That's all you're good for, David, just to watch the battle. We'll, we'll keep going. It's as Saul says there, verse 33. Verse 33, Saul himself will say, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. He's been a warrior from his youth. See, one of the problems I think we have when we read a story like this is because we know how it ends, we fail to see how it starts. Because we know what will happen, we fail to see how unexpected it is. See, deep down, I suspect that most of us think David is really some kind of warrior boy ninja. It's just got held back for surprise attack. And everyone knows he can do it, but, but have a look again at how he's described. He is the most unexpected choice. But he's God's choice. Which again, you'll see in the engaged groups this week. He's God's choice. And that's all he needs to be. The problem was, of course, though, that nobody else could see it. Why? Well, because just as we so often do, they judged the world by what they saw instead of judging the world by what God says. And I would say, I think it's a huge challenge for us every single day. How will we judge the world? Will we do it with our eyes, by what we see, as if that's all there is? <coughs> or will we do it by what God says? Looking beyond, knowing there's more. And then back in 1 Samuel 16, as Samuel looked uh, to Eliab, uh, thinking he was the one who surely God would choose. Do you remember what he said? God said this, Do not consider his appearance or height. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at just what they can see. But God sees more and knows more. And that's the perspective that shapes the world. And incredibly, as we come back to chapter 17, that's the perspective that David has. Did you notice that? Like no one else in this chapter. The only person, by the way, who names God or the Lord other than Saul, who says, the Lord be with you, which to me sounds a bit trite coming from Saul. You see it there, verse 26? Or verse 37? Or verse 45? Thanks, thanks to, to God's spirit that lives in him, because he is the Lord's anointed, David can see in a way the others can't. Both in his God and in Goliath, David sees what the others can't. And so David can do what the others won't. Verse 31, Saul hears the report, and so he sends for David. And what I reckon has to be one of the most cowardly acts of any king, and what is actually the exact opposite of true leadership, the great King Saul allows little boy David to face massive Goliath in his place. And there you see in verse 38, they're trying the armour, but that's no good. There are all sorts of kids' Bibles at home with pictures of great big armour on little tiny kids. and They try in the sword, but that's no good. They try in vain to dress him up as a king like the nations, but that's no good. And Why? 
because that's not what they need and it never was. So what they need, and for that matter what we need, is a leader unlike the nations who will wage war in an unworldly way. And you see, that's what David does, doesn't he? In God's strength, for God's glory, looking to him to win the fight. As David himself will say to the mocking Goliath, see there verse 45, have a look at verse 45. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of armies of Israel, whom you've defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds, the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. The battle is the Lord's and he'll give all of you into our hands. Of course, as we heard, that's exactly what happens. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved close to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and hit the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank deep into his forehead and he fell face down onto the ground. Just like Dagon, his God. You remember chapter 5? Goliath falls down dead before the Lord's anointed king. And just in case you missed it, Paul's very good at this. Just in case you missed it, there in verse 50, the narrator adds, So David triumphed, just in case you weren't aware, this is what happened, over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Now, when we started this series just a few weeks ago, and we asked the question, where should we go for leadership? Where do we go to live this life with God, like God, under God? And do you remember the answer from the very start of the book? The answer was, not to where the world expects, but instead to the Lord who made the world and to the King who He will give. And ever since the start of this book, that's what the rest of this book has been trying to prove to us. Where do you go for leadership? Where do you go for guidance? to the celebrities in the papers, to the celebrities on the TV, to the Facebook feed again and again and again. No, not to where the world expects. To the rich and famous, no, (coughs) not to where the world expects. To the tallest, strongest, no, not to where the world expects. But instead to the Lord who made the world and to the King who he will give. See, that again is the point of this passage. This is the kind of leader that you and I need. A leader like this, who will do this for us. Of course, if you know how the Bible works, all of this is meant to point us to Jesus, who is the leader like this, who does this 
before us. So we said at the start of the talk that this is our family story. A story that should delight us. Every bit as much as those gross stories delight my children. And I hope you've seen that this is. This is our story. But I want to say not in the way it's often told. Not in the way that you're David and I'm David and we're the hero slaying our giants. So go grab your stones and go grab your sling. No, far more in this story, and in fact, just like my kids in theirs, we are the ones who need help. We are the ones who need rescue. In Emily's case, who need letting in. Jacob and um, Elka's case, who need cleaning up. And you see, in our story, that's what we need too. Friends, make no mistake, if you live for Jesus, or if you one day will... This is your family story. But not because David is a model for you. But instead because David is a model of Christ. And this is what Christ has really done for you. (coughs) See, we may not always see it. In fact, I think we rarely do. But standing against us are giants even more terrifying than Goliath could ever hope to be. The giants of our sin. The giants of death. The giant of the devil. These are giants that threaten not only to take our lives and make us slaves now, but to take our lives and make us slaves forever and ever and ever. And you see, what do we need? Just like the Israelites, we need someone else. An anointed, appointed leader to fight our battles and make us safe. And friends, that's who Jesus is. And that's what Jesus does. That's why this story is given to us. Without a sword in his hand, but instead a cross on his back, Jesus has done all that needs doing to beat what stands against us. (coughs) Jesus has done all that needs doing to make us right with God. So you see, no wonder Paul will say that because of Jesus, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, the point of one Samuel is to point us to Jesus, even if you already know him to point you back to him and stop you looking elsewhere for the leader you need in life. And friends, if you're here and you don't yet trust Jesus, the point of one Samuel is to point us to the same Jesus. Let's pray. Now, Heavenly Father, we pray with great thanks for this part of your word, and especially we thank you for the way it prepares us for Jesus and points us to Jesus. Thank you that, like David, but so much more, Jesus, in his death, 
has conquered the giants that stand against us. Thank you that he is our hero and leader and king. Father, we pray for those in the room that do follow Jesus, that we would do so more and more and more, and we would not be lured away by all the wannabe leaders calling for our attention. Father, Father, for those in the room who don't yet follow Jesus as king, we pray that like us they would, and they would find safety in the champion you've given for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.